Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a new monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wallner. In each episode, we'll explore the life and legacy of an influential Jewish figure. Today, we're looking at one of the most influential culture makers of recent times, Barbara Streisand. In the second half of the show, I'll be joined by Neil Gabler, author of Barbara Streisand, Redefining Beauty, Femininity, and Power. If you like what you hear, leave a friendly review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. Welcome to Coffee Talk with your host, Linda Richmond. Welcome to Coffee Talk. I'm your host, Linda Richmond. This show is dedicated, as ever, to Barbara Joan Streisand. Yes. We love her. We love her. Butter. Butter. Like butter. And those legs and those sparkling stockings. Again, butter. Butter. Once upon a time, a girl from Brooklyn with a remarkable voice and a strangely spelled name made the world stop what it was doing and listen. So let's tell the world about it now. That was Happy Days Are Here Again, one of her first hits. That amazing voice you just heard quickly earned the girl fans who all but worshipped her. Fans just like Linda Richman, Mike Myers' famous Saturday Night Live character, a woman who described everything and anything she loved about Barbara Streisand by declaring it was like butter. That was The Way We Were, another of Streisand's countless hits, perfectly capturing the heartache that comes of recalling lost love. It's no wonder it peaked at number one on the billboard in 1974. Barbara Streisand is a prodigy with a trove of bests, onlys, and firsts to her name. She is the best-selling female recording artist in history, the only recording artist to produce number one albums in six consecutive decades, the only woman on the all-time top ten best-selling artist lists, ahead of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, with popularity surpassed only by Elvis. And she's the first female film director to receive the Kennedy Center honors. Streisand has also won every major award the entertainment industry has to offer. The winners are Catherine Hepworth in Lion in the Winter and Barbara Streisand. And now this evening she's receiving the Tony. Ladies and gentlemen, Broadway's funny girl, Miss Barbara Streisand. And the Emmy 
rise to Barbara Streisand. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Cecil B. DeMille Award goes to Barbara Streisand. But it wasn't always that way. And to think a poor little Miskite from Brooklyn made this masterpiece. Miskite, that's Yiddish for ugly one. As a kid, Barbara Streisand was skinny, loud, stubborn, teased, and outcast. Never approved of by her mother, scorned by her stepfather, and called Big Beak for her nose. But even as a funny little girl, she had that voice, and she dreamt of becoming a star. At first, didn't look promising. Agents, scouts, and directors, they all said the same thing. Talented, but not the right look. Read Jewish. That was Streisand's early career, a series of searing rejections. But those agents, scouts, and directors... They were no match for her force of will. First, Streisand sang on the nightclub circuit. Then, she appeared on talk shows. Then, she played a supporting role on Broadway, recorded a solo album, hosted her own TV special, and landed a leading Broadway role. Finally, a star was born. Hello, gorgeous. Who knew a skinny little Jewish girl from Brooklyn could become a superstar? That's the power of a once-in-a-blue-moon talent. The power to overcome and then reshape a societal beauty standard. I don't believe in changing things that you're given. You, it's, it's, uh, something is unnatural about it. Streisand has always played women who are audacious, tenacious, outspoken underdogs. Women who hold nothing back. Will you stop bothering me? Why, Daisy, you're a bloody miracle. For anyone who ever felt they didn't belong, seeing a Barbara Streisand movie was a revelation. Watching her, you started to think, maybe you weren't so funny after all. Maybe you were a miracle too. There were so many movie stars there. I was the least known person in the room. And I looked around and I couldn't believe my eyes because there was... Edward G. Robinson, Kirk Douglas, Natalie Wood, Henry Fonda. And I remember as I was walking to the stage one night, passing one of these tables, I overheard the wife of one of the big stars, you know, say, I can't believe I came here to see some Fakakta folk singer, she said. <laughs> anyway, I don't know whatever happened to her, but guess what? I'm still here. Discover an enthralling appreciation of the cultural icon who challenged Hollywood's standards of beauty and glamour in the Jewish Lives biography, Barbara Streisand, Redefining Beauty, Femininity, and Power, by Neil Gabler. Save 30%, plus get free shipping for a limited time only. Use the code STRISAND at checkout, only at jewishlives.org. Hi, Neil, and welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you very much. I feel welcomed. You write that Barbra Streisand possessed qualities that made her the most important entertainer of her time. What qualities did you have in mind when you wrote that line? Well, I, that's almost um, a, a, a book-length answer. Um, obviously, she's talented. But she also did something else that very few entertainers, even the most talented of them, you know, did. And that is she reshaped culture. And she had qualities that she was able to promulgate that changed the way we think about ourselves and our world. All right, we'll get into that soon. And before we do, let's look at her roots for a second. In the book, you also call her Brooklyn personified. And I wanted to ask what that means and how those characteristics factored into her ultimate success. You know, Brooklyn is a a place, uh, obviously, but it's much more than a place. I think it's an attitude. It's an experience. It's a way of approaching the world. Um, I mean, people in Brooklyn are are tough. Uh, they're cynical. The the earthiness, the toughness, the loudness, the boisterousness, all of those things which we came to identify with Brooklyn, we also come to identify with Barbara Streisand. I think it's all summed up in Don't Rain on My Parade. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my Yes. Well, not only don't wait on my parade, but so many of her songs, you know, deal with the sense of forcing oneself against the world, imposing oneself on on a somewhat inhospitable world. Uh, And that really is Barbara Streisand. You don't want me. You really don't want me. But you're going to have me anyway. Well, let's talk about her voice for a second and her singing. Producer Quincy Jones said that Streisand had a Stradivarius of a voice. So can you talk about her relationship to that voice? Because it's kind of unique. When I was dealing with her voice, one of the questions I had, which is, you know, the, the very question you're asking is, what makes Barbara Streisand's voice different? But I wanted to be somewhat analytical about that. It was partly the way that she physically changed the whole idea of singing. I mean, most singers sing in legato. They, they keep the line, the flow going. But Barbara Streisand did not. Who is the pip with pizzazz? Who is all ginger and jazz? Who is as glamour as sad? Barbara Streisand really was interested in the emotional content of what she said, and sometimes the emotional content of what she was singing um, would be disrupted by that legato. Something else as well that is, I think, you know, really important to understand is um, there are sounds that are ugly. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, the O in gallop, uh, the A at the end of sofa, the A at the beginning of amazing. They're ugly sounds. And Barbara Streisand learned, uh, found a way of manipulating those sounds to make them more beautiful. And we can hear these these elements of Barbara Streisand's ingenuity, if you want to call them that. You take a song like People. How she changes words. People. Elongates. People who need people. 
the way that she holds that. There's that kind of Yiddish idea, but also the elongation of the O sound. The way she's using those sounds and changing those sounds to make them more lovely and to give them that Yiddish lilt. Uh, because there is a Yiddish quality when she sings. Hide all the need inside, acting more like children. So there's that part of her voice, the way she uses it, and then there's what she thought of her voice, which also is kind of unusual. You know, Barbara Streisand never really wanted to be a singer. I mean, that's one of the interesting things. Here's one of the great singers of all time. But it wasn't singing that interested her. I mean, what really interested her was acting. So, you know, and, and I think part of that was because she felt that acting is where the real rewards come. And indeed, when I say she wanted to be an actress, you think of Barbara Streisand's songs and they're deeply emotional. And that is not at all accidental. Uh, one of the things that she learned very early on were the emotional things she did with that voice. She acted every song. Now you say you love me. Well, just to prove you do. I cried over you. You drove me, nearly drove me out of my head. Deeply felt emotion and identity um, were big parts of how she sang and what she sang about. And so let's talk about that. One of her greatest triumphs is that she refused to assimilate in Hollywood. She didn't change her last name. And more importantly, she didn't change her nose. So how did those decisions change American culture. Barbara Streisand is revolutionary in a host of ways, and uh, we talked briefly about how she revolutionizes singing. Uh, But she also revolutionizes the whole persona of an entertainer. There had never been an entertainer like Barbara Streisand. There had never been an entertainer who looked like Barbara Streisand. So let's begin there. Her own mother told her repeatedly You're too ugly to be a star. But when she was going out into the world uh, of entertainment at the very beginning, when she was very young, and she was told the same thing by those agents and producers that her mother told her, you're too ugly. You just don't have what it takes, by which they mean you just don't have the looks that it takes for a woman to be an entertainer. And... What Barbara Streisand does, through the force of her talent and through the force of her personality, is that she takes all of those alleged liabilities and she converts them into assets. She becomes the first other to become a major star, and not a comic star, but to become a major dramatic star. 
picking up on that at the height of her stardom, she had an enormously diverse fan base, from gay men to teen girls in Texas. So what is it that made her so appealing to this really broad audience of people? You know, when you when you go to the movies, even today, most of the time, but certainly back then, when you go to the movies and you, you'd see someone on screen, the transaction between you as an audience member and the star on the screen was a vicarious one. Boy, I wish I could be like, you know, Cary Grant, or I wish I could be like uh, Marilyn Monroe. But when you went to see Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl, you were that person, or she was you. She looked like you. She acted like you. Uh, She had the same seeming inferiority complex that you might have had. You know, she used to say of herself that she was the girl who was never asked to the prom. And every woman in America who was never asked to the prom could identify. But so could every man in America who felt humiliated or disempowered or just wasn't good enough, wasn't handsome enough, wasn't strong enough, wasn't powerful enough. They saw themselves in Barbara Streisand and she saw herself in them. And her triumph was our triumph. She succeeded for us. Great segue into her films. They had a fascinating place in her career. All of her films, in some way, you say, mimicked her life. Can you share an example or two of where that shows up in some of her films? Yeah, what's fascinating about Barbara Streisand, in the sense that while she's living her life, she's also performing her life. You think beautiful girls are going to stay style forever? I should say not. Any minute now, they're going to be out. Finished! Then it'll be my turn. Funny Girl is a role that could really only be played by Barbara Streisand. It is a role that Barbara Streisand was living as she was performing it. You know, the, the idea of Fanny Bryce's triumph in Funny Girl is completely congruent with Barbara Streisand's triumph playing Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl. And when she makes that movie, for which she wins the Academy Award, uh, it catapults her into stardom. It's a wonderfully sort of Mobius strip of of a career. Um, And she didn't leave that with Funny Girl. Virtually every single film she makes in some way, addresses Barbara Streisand's life and personality. One more film in specific that has this mirroring quality, Yentl. It was the film she starred in, produced, directed, and co-wrote. Can you talk about what that film meant to her and just anything else that you think is important? Well, Yentl meant a great deal to Barbara Streisand. As big a star as Barbara Streisand was, and there was no bigger star male or female in Hollywood at the height of her powers, uh, one of those powers was not creative control. Barbara Streisand had always demanded creative control of her music, but that's a different order of magnitude than demanding creative control of her films, um, which she did not have. And it's interesting that Hollywood actively excluded her from gaining that power. Making Yentl was a, uh, a project that took, you know, a decade because 
she could not find a studio that would finance her desire to make that film and to direct that film. You know, male, male stars could direct films, but a female star could not. Obviously, it was a, a sexist response, but it was also a more particular response to Barbara Streisand herself, to her whole diva persona and, and to the idea that, you know, she was just this, this wild, loudmouth woman who we couldn't control. So it was very important for Barbara Streisand personally to gain control of that project and to be able to direct it. And it was important, I think, for women in Hollywood too. You know, and, you know, she didn't get nominated for uh, an Oscar, though she certainly deserved it. Um, that was, that was a, uh, a backslap to her. I mean, that was a way of, of putting her down and putting it in her place. Um, because the film was so good, I think Hollywood had to find a way of marginalizing her. This woman who'd been marginalized all of her life, um, only to become the greatest star in Hollywood because she understood the power of her own marginalization, makes a movie about that marginalization and gets marginalized again. And one interesting thing is you're the first author on that we've had on the podcast whose subject is still alive. How do you conclude a life story of someone who's still living it? That's a very interesting question. How do you write a book where you don't know the ending? That's something I wrestle with all the time. But when I was writing about Barbara Streisand, I understood this. This is not a biography of Barbara Streisand or even a mini biography of Barbara Streisand, though it has, you know, it, it discusses all of the biographical points of her life. And if you wanted to learn the story of Barbara Streisand biographically, I like to think that the book presents that. Uh, but I, I think of it more as a biography of the metaphor of Barbara Streisand. She's an extremely metaphoric figure. I mean, she's metaphoric for the idea of the other. And so I thought, you know, what I'm really writing here is not the story of her life, which would have necessitated for me really having a conclusion, having closure, I think. But what I'm writing about is the story of that metaphor that she created. That metaphor is full to me at this point. Uh, I don't know that Barbara Streisand, though she's still active and, and still, you know, wonderful, will be building appreciably on the fundamental metaphor that she created. So, you know, I, I maybe I'm letting myself off the hook <laughs> by saying this, but I feel that the the subject about which I'm writing, which is Streisand metaphorically, uh, has concluded for all intents and purposes. And, and that book, you know, I, I felt I could write and, and have written. Thank you, Neil Gabler, so much for joining us to discuss Barbara Streisand, Redefining Beauty, Femininity, and Power. It was so much fun. Well, thank you. The Jewish Lives podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, Jewish Lives Editorial Director Eileen Smith, Series Editors Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, Project Manager Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan, Morgan Gruer, and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Wallner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. 
Groucho Marx once said, Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Watch for forthcoming Jewish Lives titles, including Theodore Herzl, Houdini, and Stan Lee. Learn more about our books at jewishlives.org.